Well, good morning, everyone. I want to welcome you guys into Redbrush Christian Church. Uh, we are in the final week of our two-week series uh, that we're calling An Unseen Battle. Uh, and so this morning, I want to do just a little bit of foreshadowing. Uh, we're going to spend the vast majority of our time today in Psalm 77. So if you've got your Bibles, you can go ahead and turn Psalm 77. Starting next week, uh, we're going to spend seven weeks working through what the staff has come up with as our core values. We're calling that series, It's Who We Are. Uh, basic bi- biblical principles that should guide, first of all, us as a staff, but also uh, you in your everyday life as well. So we'll spend seven weeks in that. After we follow up, uh, or after we get done with that series, we'll follow that one up uh, with journeying through different psalms. And so you're going to get a piece of that this morning, uh, but that will lead us all the way up to Easter. Easter Sunday, uh, we'll be looking through Psalm 23. So that's kind of a, a foreshadowing of where we've... Uh, where we're going over the next several weeks. Uh, But first, I want to answer this question. Why this series? Why now? Why tackle the issue of anxiety and depression? A couple reasons. One is, I I want you to have a clear, realistic picture of the Christian life. I want you to see, as we look at Psalm 77, that anxiety, depression are are a part of the Christian life. And and i got to be honest with you in this. One of the biggest frustrations that I have as a pastor is, is talking to people who are under the impression that because they're a believer, these things shouldn't affect them. That they bought into this lie that, that once I accepted Christ, life should be easy. Life, life should have no trouble, no pain, no suffering. There shouldn't be any anxiety or emotional issues whatsoever. And the reality is, is, as you sit in here and you live everyday life, you come and you deal with it. You recognize that, that this is a part of the Christian life, that it, it's not something that you're immune to. And so we need to address these things. Because what you're going to see this morning in Psalm 77 it is a man who has really gone through a wide range of emotions. And at this writing, he is in the depths of depression. As we look at Psalm 77, you are going to see a man who has let his emotions get the best of him. He started to become irrational. He's asking crazy questions because of his emotional state. And you're going to see a man who starts to have doubts creep in. So, so why is this series important for you and I? Well, because the reality of Psalm 77 is that it paints a picture of what life often holds. Now, is life always doom and gloom? No, absolutely not. There is, there is joy because of Christ. But what I don't want to have happen is for you to, to somehow buy into this lie that, well, that just means it's all the time. That it's nothing but mountaintop experiences. And the reality is, is it's not. And so we need biblical truths for both the highs and the lows. And so the second reason is this. The Bible also gives us clear, clear strategies to use as we fight for our faith. In the moments of depression, in the moments of anxiety, it is time to fight for your faith. It is very much a fight. And so the truth that I hope is clear this morning is regardless of of where you're at emotionally, 
God has not left us. The Bible still speaks to the hope that we have, and I hope that's what you see this morning. So Psalm 77 is where we'll spend the vast majority of our time. I want to give you just a little bit of background as to the writing of this. As people hear Psalms, they automatically think that this is written by King David. King David wrote a large portion, but not, not all of them. In fact, the section that we're looking at, chapter 77, is really a part of a bigger section. So chapters 73 to 83 are all written by a man named Asaph. You may see that in little font right above the title, right above the text. So this is written by a man named Asaph. Asaph is one of the three chief musicians of the kingdom, uh, the, the temple area in Israel at that time. And, and while that may not really resonate with you, you may not think, like, that's a job? No, this was a big deal in the kingdom. This is a big deal in the temple. This is the guy that is in charge of writing the hymns, of, of writing the laments, of writing the psalms. This is a big deal in their culture, and he's one of three that have this job. And so what you need to know about Asaph, as he's writing this, is Asaph has seen highs and lows of Israel. Second Chronicles will tell us that Asaph was present at the dedication of Solomon's temple. That was one of the high points of all of the history of Israel, was this building and dedication of the Solomon's temple. Asaph was there. So he's seen highs in the history of Israel. And now, as we move forward in the story in Psalm 77, Asaph is dealing with probably one of the most difficult periods in Israel's history. At this writing, Asaph is in the middle of the exile of Israel, the captivity by the Babylonians, and the destruction of the temple that he was present for the dedication of. So, so everywhere he looks, Asaph is seeing death and destruction and, and all of these things point him to what he writes in Psalm 77. Life is not good for Asaph. Life is not good for Israel in this moment. And you start to see that Asaph is, is dealing with this, this emotional disorientation. You could see that at the beginning of all of these psalms that he writes. Listen to how he starts Psalm 73. He says, surely God is good to Israel. One psalm later, 74, he says, oh God, why have you rejected us forever? Psalm 75, we praise you, God. And he starts Psalm 77, 1, by saying this. I cried out to God for help. I cried out to God to hear me. So just the way Asaph opens these four psalms, you can start to see the, the ups and downs that he's dealing with, the emotional roller coaster that he and Israel are both on. And you can start to see why he starts out the way he does. Everywhere Asaph looks, he, he sees the, the country, the city that he loves in ruin. He sees the people that he loves being destroyed and taken captive. And so he says this in verse 2. When I was in distress, I sought the Lord. At night, I stretched out untiring hands, and I would not be comforted. This is the moment when, when those of you who either have or, or are or will experience depression may, may find yourself. 
Listen, I often caution against people reading themselves into the Bible, but in this case, as, as you see Asaph's story, you, you may see a piece of you in there. I'm, I'm calling out to God, I'm, I'm begging for him to take this away, and yet nothing's happening. I don't, I don't feel any better. Nothing is changing. And this is the frustration that Asaph is dealing with. He's like, God, I'm, I'm asking you for help. So where are you? Where are you? Verse 3. I remembered you, God, and I groaned. I meditated, and my spirit grew faint. You kept my eyes from closing. I was too troubled to speak. I thought about the former days, the years of long ago, and I remembered my songs in the night. My heart meditated, and my spirit asked. And we're going we're gonna to stop there for just a moment. What is Asaph saying here? It's easy to get lost in some of the language that's used. So, so I want to make sure you understand what Asaph is saying. As he starts this, he says, I remembered you, God, and I, I groaned. What's he doing? Well, he's thinking back to the days where it seems like God's blessing was still on Israel. He's thinking back to maybe in our lingo, the good old days. He's thinking back to the times of, of prosperity, of victory, and he's come to this conclusion. Those days are gone. The good days, they're gone. So he says, I, I remembered you, God, and I groaned. I meditated and my spirit grew faint. Because of this, because of this, this torment of the thought that, that the best days are, are behind me, that there is nothing to look forward to. God has clearly taken his hand off of us. Asaph says, I, I, can't, I can't move. I'm, I'm weak. I can't sleep. And he says in verse 6 something interesting. He says this, I remembered my songs in the night. He's thinking back to the songs that, that he's written, the songs that he's sang no doubt songs of, of victory, songs of, of blessing, songs of triumph. He's thinking back to those songs, and it leads him to ask these questions. In full view of what God has done in the past, all of the blessings, all of the good things, he sees where he is now, and it leads him to ask these questions. Verse 7. Will the Lord reject forever? Will he never show his favor again? Has his unfailing love vanished forever? Has his promise failed for all time? Has God forgotten to be merciful? Has he in anger withheld his compassion? There is one thing and one thing only that are driving these questions. It's not the character and nature of God. There is one thing driving these questions and it's Asaph's emotions. It, it, it's what he sees. He, he feels a certain way. And what, what Asaph is doing in asking these false questions is saying, my circumstances make me feel this way, and therefore I'm putting this out on God. I, I feel like God has left. I, I feel like he's not merciful. I feel like he's forgotten me, abandoned me, and so therefore that must be true. Why is this important for you and I to understand? Because as 
decent of a barometer as your emotions can be, they often lie to you. Your emotions will lie to you. Your emotions will read a a certain scenario, a certain circumstance in life and and declare an overarching truth that that must be true because this is how you feel. So so what do I want for Redbrush Christian Church? What, What do I want from you? What do I want from me? I want us to be a people who are so wrapped up in the word of God and the truths of God that we are able to navigate whatever life throws at us because we recognize I am anchored in this. I am anchored in who God is. I am anchored in who Christ is. And regardless of what comes, I'm anchored to this. I do not want us to be a people who are driven by whatever our emotions tell us is true. That, that read a scenario this way and then project that onto, well, this must be who God is. I want us to be rooted in who God is, in his character, in his nature. So when the emotions come, we can see them for what they are. A good barometer at times, but never, never a source of ultimate truth. Your emotions will lie to you. And so Asaph, this is what he's dealing with in this moment. He he sees nothing but death and destruction, and his emotions in the moment say, God has has rejected us. God is is not good. God is clearly not loving, because if he was, I wouldn't be dealing with this. Clearly the promise that God has made is is now nullified. Clearly he cannot be trusted. God is no longer merciful and certainly not loving. This is what Asaph's emotions are projecting onto God. The reality is as you deal with the depths of depression, and and I, I said this last week at the beginning of the sermon, and I probably should say it again. I am not a doctor. I know I have the glasses, but I am not... I'm not a doctor. I do not intend to diagnose you. This sermon is not meant to diagnose, treat, or cure any disease or mental illness. What I want you to understand is this. I want you and I to be a people that are so rooted in the word of God that we recognize that those emotions will come. We're not going to be a people who are left with this this false idea that the valleys won't come. Over and over and over in the Bible, you see you're going to have those moments. You're going to deal with depression. You're going to deal with anxiety. You're going to deal with the pits. So the question is, where, where do we go? So we've already established it is, it is not my emotions. It's not how I perceive a situation. No, I, I go I go to one place and one place only, and this is where Asaph's mind goes. And really what you're going to see is the story change in this moment. Because he says one more false thing in verse 10. He says this. He says, Then I thought, to this I will appeal. The years when the Most High stretched out his right hand. 
I don't often bring in other biblical translations. I use the NIV pretty, pretty solely. Uh, but I, I'm bringing in verse 10 from the New American Standard because it kind of gives you a glimpse of, of what both of these are actually trying to say. And the New American Standard, Psalm 77.10 says this. Then I said, it is my grief that the right hand of the Most High has changed. So he's asking all of these questions. Lord, have you forgotten me? Are you rejecting me forever? Will you ever show favor again? And he, he comes to this false conclusion. Once again, driven by his emotions of the moment, he says, clearly, God has changed. Clearly, God is not any longer who he said he would be. God has changed. I want to remind you that this flies in the face of, of what God has said about himself. Malachi chapter 3, verse 6, it says, I, the Lord, do not change, so you, the descendants of Jacob, are not destroyed. I'm not, I'm not thrown about like your emotional state. No, no, I'm, I don't change. And the Holy Spirit continually does this. If you notice, this is exactly where Gary went this morning in our communion. Gary and I didn't talk about what he was going to say. He didn't know where I was going to go. Uh, but the Holy Spirit continually brings these things together. And I, I believe it's for a purpose. He's reminding us, regardless of your emotions, regardless of the circumstances, I do not change. And I am good. James 1, 17, the New Testament says the same thing. Every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of the heavenly lights, who does not change like shifting shadows. So again, what we're seeing in verses 6 through 10 is Asaph's emotions clouding his view of God. So maybe there's a better way. Maybe there's a better foundation for you to, to build this Christian life on other than your emotions and your perceptions of a moment. And I believe it's this. The Christian life has to be built on the Word of God. Has to. There is a growing sentiment among believers, whether spoken or, or in practice, that we can be followers of Christ and neglect the Bible. That, that we can be communing with him without his word. I, I want to caution you against that. that. That we here stand on the word of God. We, we see it as the ultimate source of authority. It is the inerrant word of God worth building your life around. Every scenario... Every circumstance, every question that you have about this life is answered here. So if I want to know what God is like, I find it in the Bible. If I want God to speak to me, he's spoken to me through his word. If I want to commune with God, it's, it's through his word and through prayer. Here's why it is so dangerous to buy the lie that, that we can be a Christian apart from the Word of God. Because apart from the Word of God, to be a believer without the Bible is to create a God that looks an awful lot like you. To be a believer apart from the Bible, not to spend time in the Word, not to obey the Word, not to build my life around the Word, is to craft a God that is a blank canvas. And, and here's what you and I will do. 
I'm going to start to take pieces of, of me. And, and all of a sudden, God starts to think, act, look, vote just like me. This is the danger in, in trying to be a believer and not walking in the word. I, I would submit to you that it's impossible. You're certainly going to be a, a weak Christian at best, and at worst, a false one. So this is the moment in Psalm 77 as, as Asaph is, is laying out all of his pain, all of his frustration, all, all of his depression on God, and asking these questions and, and dealing with his doubts, saying, God, you've changed you're not for me anymore. You've rejected me. You're not good. You're not merciful. He comes to this moment. It's why the word of God is so important for you and for me. He says in verse 11, I, I will remember the deeds of the Lord. Yes, I will remember your miracles of long ago. I will consider all your works and meditate on all your mighty deeds. Up until now, Asaph's emotions and his perception of the world around him has caused him to view God in a certain light. Uncaring, distant, unloving. And it's at this point that Asaph spills his frustrations and doubts to the Lord and he comes to this conclusion. Rather than using this momentary snapshot in time, I'm going I'm to zoom out and I'm going to look at who God is based on not, not how I feel in this moment, but based on who he's told me he is in his word. It's, it's this dramatic, seemingly insignificant shift that, that makes all the difference in this story, makes all the difference in the life of Asaph. What I will not tell you is this. This is the moment when the light came on for Asaph where depression was, was cast out, where everything was finally great again as it should be. No, this is a man who is still in the depths of depression. This is the man who is still in the darkness. And it's in those times, in that place, he says this in verse 13, your ways, God, are holy. What God is as great as our God? You are the God who performs miracles. You display your power among the peoples. And with your mighty arm, you redeemed your people, the descendants of Jacob and Joseph. Why is this relevant to us? 2023, why is this relevant to us? Because in the moment, in the lows, you need the word. In the highs, you need the word. This is the foundation because in those moments like Asaph, when, when you feel like life is crumbling around you, when you're in the depths of despair, what you need to remind yourself of is who God is and what he's done. And this is what Asaph does. Even though I don't feel it in this moment, I'm going I'm to fight to remember it. I'm going to fight to get in the word and remember what God has done for his people to remind myself. He's not, he's not rejected me because of this moment. 
He's not no longer good because of this moment. No, no, he is good. He saves. He is merciful regardless of my circumstances now. And so he comes to the conclusion, your ways, God, your ways are holy. Because I remember the way that you've redeemed your people. I remember the way that you've saved a people who who did not deserve to be saved because of their goodness. No, in in your love, in your kindness, you saved Israel. God, I, I remember that. And it tells me who you actually are. He's gonna speak to to just a moment of a story, kind of the the first thought that comes to his mind as he's thinking about Israel and and thinking about God loving his people. He he comes to one moment, and and verses 16 down to the end are going to show a snapshot of Exodus chapter 14. It's going to show a moment of when God saved his people from the captives of Egypt, when he parted the Red Sea and and allowed his people to go through. And Asaph is using this as a reminder. No, no, God is not distant. God is not uncaring. God loves me regardless of the circumstance I find myself in now. God is holy. Verse 16. He says, the waters saw you. The waters saw you, God. The waters saw you and writhed. The very depths were convulsed. The clouds poured down water. The heavens resounded with thunder. Your arrows flashed back and forth. Your thunder was heard in the whirlwind. Your lightning lit up the world. And the earth trembled and quaked. Your path led through the sea. Your way through the mighty waters. Through your, though your footprints were not seen, you led your people like a flock by the hand of Moses and Aaron. You should see a shift in the tone in Psalm 77. Verses 1 through 10 are, are all about Asaph. In fact, what you see over and over again is, I, 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 I feel this way. I perceive you this way. I think you're this way. There is a dramatic shift that that kind of starts in verses 11 and 12 and really culminates in verses 13 to the end of the chapter. All of a sudden, the focus is no longer on Asaph. The focus is no longer on this circumstance in this moment. The focus shifts to who God is. That's why over and over and over again from 13 down, you see you, your ways, your holiness, you are God. So what's the... What's the prescription for us? The prescription is this. In the moments, actually in the moments of highs and lows, but specifically in the moments when you're in the depths, and and the reality is from talking to many of you, you're there. You either have been, you are, or, or you will be. As your pastor, what I, what I want for you is not to ride this roller coaster of emotions. Are, are they going to come? Yeah. But you can preach to those emotions now. Because you recognize through the word that the way I feel isn't the, the, the clearest picture of the way things actually are. So what I, I'm not suggesting is, hey, in this moment... Everything should be great. 
Right? You've heard the word, so get out of the depths. No, no. The greatness of the word is found in this. It meets you there. Remind yourselves of the truth when you're there. Does it mean he's automatically pulling you out? No. None of us are naive enough to think that, that I'm going to say these words and boom, it's, it, it's changed. No, but the, the word of God is powerful enough to meet you in the depths of depression. It is powerful enough to sustain you through the lows. So that when the highs come, you recognize who God is and what he's done. It's, it's no longer me. It is him. He is worthy to be worshipped in the highs and the lows. He is worthy to be praised. Because he does not change. So listen, I, I don't know where you are in this. Last week I had several people come up to me after the sermon and said, hey, that was great, but I don't struggle with anxiety. And I said, I praise God for that. But when it comes, if it comes, you're armed with the truth of the word. And so this morning, here's where you may have been through this whole thing. No, life's going pretty good. I'm on a mountaintop right now. You have the truth of the word when it comes. This is worth building your life around. This is what will sustain you through the highs and the lows in this life. The Christian life has to be built around living in the word. And so it's what I, I want to challenge you with. Are you a person of the word? I'm not setting a, a, a link that you have to get to. I'm not saying, hey, this year you better read through the Bible. No, I'm, I'm saying day by day. Are, are you going to the word? Whatever, whatever life is thrown at you, whatever emotional state you're in, are you going back to the word and reminding yourself this is the truth? This is the firm foundation. Not, not how I feel in this moment. No, God does not change. I don't know about you, but, but me and, and my emotional state has changed quite rapidly in my life. So what it's an indication for me is that man, I, I'm not the ultimate source of truth. I, I need a firm foundation. You need a firm foundation, and it is found in the Word of God. Resolve to be a people of the Word. Obey the Word. Live in the Word. Memorize the Word. Meditate on the Word. This is the firm foundation that you need, regardless of what life brings. And this is what will sustain you. Father, thank you. Thank you for the truth of your Word. Father, forgive us when we've bought into the lie that a Christian life is, is one without depression, without anxiety. Lord, as fallible humans, we recognize that that is just not the case. So Father, it, it should point us to the fact that hope and peace and comfort it's not found in us. That we need a firmer foundation. And so God, we praise you that you've given us your word, that you speak to us through your word, that we commune with you through your word, that we can see your power and remember what you've done through your word. 
Father, in the depths of despair, may we see you for who you are, unchanging, gracious, merciful, powerful. God, may we meditate on your word in those moments. Father, ultimately, we thank you that we can trust that when you say your son has taken all of our sin, we can trust you in that. That for those of us who have put our trust in Jesus, that have, that have declared with our mouths that he is Lord and, and, and walked into the waters of baptism to be obedient to you, that, that we've declared, God, your son, his sacrifice was enough. God, we're declaring that, that we are weak, that salvation is not found in us, and, and so therefore, God, we praise you that your perfect salvation was found through Jesus. Father, may we be a people, regardless of what life has for us right now, be a people who constantly get in your word and remind ourselves of the truth of who you are. So Lord, we trust that you are who you say you are, that you do not change. And God, that you have not turned away. Father, we thank you for this hope. It's in your name that we pray.